This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we're joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Cam, uh, enjoying a bit more sunshine than snow up in the Northeast? We are. It's uh you might almost be confused with spring, but I know enough to know that uh, if I get comfortable with the 60-degree temperatures we've enjoyed today, that uh, I'll pay for it. <laughs> you're not safe until you're into May. Right. Yeah. Same here. Um, they say that February and March are a bit iffy, and then once you're past that, it's sunshine forever. Um, so um, what wasn't on the plate this week? Uh, Russia's attack on Ukraine pushed into the fourth week. Um, a new sub-variant of Omicron crept back into Europe and China. The Fed Reserve announced a 25 basis point hike, all contributing to global headwinds. Um, Of this range of kind of geopolitical inflation, supply chain stories, is there one that stands out as the most influential? Um, Well, I I think for the past week uh, that actually partly because people had happily uh, stop thinking about it. It was the resurgence of COVID yet again in 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 in, in key markets that uh, perhaps delivered the uh, biggest shocks to markets. Um, you know it, it, the uh, areas that China felt it had to shut down to contain the latest outbreaks uh, somewhat confirmed uh, the worst fears about uh, what. Uh, China's insistence on a zero COVID policy could do to uh, supply chains and to its economic growth. Uh, The fact that Europe, which has already been badly uh, belted by the uh, Omicron variant, uh, is wrestling with a sub-variant almost as soon as it started relaxing the restrictions Brought in to deal with the with the with the uh, the, the sort of Christmas wave, um, you know, I think has dented morale uh, a bit. Um, so, you know, it is as you <laughs> said in your pre- preamble, it's a crowded stage at the moment. If you're looking for drivers of the wrong sort, uh, you know, the latest inflation numbers are still heading in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, two two quarter point point interest rate hikes by two of the major central banks, the Fed and the Bank of England, uh, in the past few days. Um, the events in the Ukraine, though there have been some sort of flickers of optimism about uh, a peace process. Nothing has really materialized, and. The longer it grinds on, the more um, scope there is for sort of a bad mis- bad miscalculation that could lead to significant escalation. So it's a tough time to uh, chart a course uh, through the financial landscape at the moment. Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, it, it seems like just when we thought COVID was on its way out, it's definitely back, back up and running um, and worrying other uh, investors. So um, you briefly mentioned China um, dealing with COVID, but this week we saw outflows for China equity funds. Um, China bond funds have been experiencing outflows, but What's the main driver here? Well, certainly for the equity funds, it was somewhat abrupt reminder that though China would argue that it's had a much more successful uh, experience in terms of managing the pandemic over its course since it's really erupted in the first quarter of 2020, uh, there are risks associated with the zero COVID policy um it requires uh economically painful measures to to defend that policy um those me- the cost of those measures rise exponentially when the uh transmissibility of the new variants is higher which has certainly been the case with uh uh omicron uh and um because uh, china has you know, done a relatively good job of of keeping its population away from the virus. Uh, there is a downside to that, which is that they don't have the the natural what they call the herd immunity. So, um, if if COVID was to sort of really cut loose through China, uh, you can certainly make the case that the impact. You know, China would reap the deferred costs of not. Um, having a more flexible, learn to live with it policy, get little truck from Chinese authorities <laughs> advocating that. But that's certainly the way the markets see it. So, um, you know, they're a bit more nervous about what happens in China if there is a major spike uh, in the COVID caseload. You know, we are still talking about uh, a tiny proportion of the overall population, uh, but the fact that the that the areas that uh, were impacted were sort of um, very close to sort of key production centers, uh, you know, heightened the, the the strength of the pullback by investors uh, during this latest week. And COVID's all, you know, also an issue at the moment for another of the region's big markets, Korea. They've seen a fairly big spike, which when added to a new, much more conservative president-elect in the mix has, has made that a market that we've seen investors step back from. Uh, over the past couple of weeks. While there's been a lot of talk of COVID and how China is dealing with it, um, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine definitely hasn't escaped headlines. Um, Something I've been wondering about is the true global market impact of the conflict. Does it have an end? Will the impacts at some point max out? Um, And kind of what industries are seeing the most shock or potential aftershock. Um, The main one being energy. Is Russia or President Putin hurting its claim to fame 
as a global force in energy as the war keeps continuing. They're certainly proving that they are a, a cornerstone of, of the, the global energy picture and that um, levering them out of that position and, and sort of finding new ways to plug the gap uh, is going to be uh, painful. Um, but uh, when you're forced to look for alternatives, they, uh, they is often surprising how often some surface. Um, We've certainly seen uh, above average flows into Saudi Arabia, which has the capacity, though at the moment uh, not showing the will, to you know at least buffer some of the worst impacts of, of, of a significant loss of Russian supply in global markets. Um, the sort of ESG tide that was uh, flowing so strongly uh, into this year. Uh, definitely kind of dampened the uh, the U.S. Uh, shale fracking story, um, but needs must um, if the conflict continues to limp on, uh, even though I think the opposition will be as passionate as ever, uh, I would expect uh, more of that capacity to be tapped. Germany's mothballing of uh, its nuclear power plants is recent enough that uh, it's not technologically that difficult to crank some of them back up. Um, you know, as we saw when prices spiked after the great financial crisis, people adapt too. Demand dropped sharply, but you know, people were still able to get on with their lives. So, there's no doubt Russia is a key part of the energy picture. Um, that uh, the current situation <laughs> uh, creates considerable. Uh, potential for pain. Uh, it obviously has inflationary aspects in that uh, cuts to supply will add to demand pressures and price pressures. Um, but, uh, you know, there are alternatives, uh, both in the conventional sense. I've mentioned nuclear power, increased production in the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, and uh, uh, an existing uh impetus to develop new cleaner sources that uh, I've no doubt will be accelerated by what's going on. Um, The current crisis has certainly highlighted that being dependent on major fossil fuel producers is a two-edged sword, pardon the metaphor. but uh, that can easily translate into, you know, accelerated development of, you know, solar, wind, uh, tidal. So, um, you know, it, it will be painful. It'll be more painful if this goes on for a long time, but it, you know, it will shake out. Um, markets are adaptable. Um, there's a wide array of alternatives out there, even if some of them haven't been fully developed. Prices work. Uh, all those shipments of liquid nat- natural gas bound for Asia suddenly found their way to Europe. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we might not like the market signals, but they yeah, still still working their magic. They do. Um- So something you briefly touched on was inflation within that. Um, And 
within the U.S., at least on the U.S. side, um, investors may have been slightly relieved by the Fed only announcing a 25-point increase rather than a 50-point um, increase that was being discussed. But what are the implications of possibly the six rate hikes that they announced in 2022? I think you phrased it right. Um, there was a fear that, given this, this, given that the Fed is, by you know most accounts, uh, somewhat behind the curve in terms of tackling inflation, that they might make an aggressive first move, and 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 uh, markets were somewhat concerned that was more likely uh, than not. So, for the Fed to you know raise it by twenty five basis points uh, did, I think, generate. Uh, sort of a degree of relief. And while sort of six or so more rate hikes this year sounds daunting, uh, 25 basis points is not a lot. And by spreading them out over the course of the year, uh, it, you know, it, it gives the Fed six other chances to decide that it needs to you know, either hit the pause button, head for the off-ramp, take into effect. Um, you know, other circumstances. Uh, and uh, Chairman Powell went out of his way uh, to sort of reassure markets that while there was, they are, you know, serious about putting a lid on inflation, uh, they are uh, keeping uh, their eyes on other goals and uh, are not just going to blindly hike rates because that seems to be the thing to do. So I, I, I think that, you know, there was a credibility issue. Um, I think if the Fed had not raised rates, you might have gotten an even stronger reaction, uh, even if there were some valid reasons like the geopolitical uncertainty uh, created by Russia in, in Europe. Um, the messaging and the amount seemed to hit the right note. Um, you know, six quarter point um, interest rate hikes sort of adds up to, you know, an interest rate of 1.5%, well, plus the existing one. So, you know, in historical terms, <laughs> that's still not um, not in nosebleed territory. Good. Well, thank you, Cam, for all of your insight this week. And we'll catch up next week. Yes, we will. Certainly living in interesting times, so. There will be lots to talk about, I suspect. Yes, absolutely. Good. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 